What's goody how breath averse? I am teaching a clean comedy workshop on Zoom this Sunday afternoon. So if you've ever wondered where the line is in clean comedy, how to transform your dirty jokes to clean jokes without compromising your voice, and get live feedback on your material in the workshop, scroll to the bottom of the show notes, click the link, join the clean comedy workshop, or go to joelbyerscomedy.com slash clean comedy workshop. And I'll see you there. Last one sold out, so jump on it. What's goody, Hot Breathiverse? Welcome back to Hot Breath, the show where you learn comedy from the pros. I am your host and comedian, Joel Byers, and our guest today is a living success story of following your instincts and remaining authentic throughout the entire journey. He actually moved to New York to pursue musical theater, ended up in comedy where he was doing glamorous shows at 2 a.m. while people were trying to pay their bills. He had a booker tell him his show was too one-man showy. He had a manager tell him to change his name. But fortunately for us, through all of that, he only listened to himself. And now he has become one of the fastest rising comedians, not just on social media, but in comedy clubs, soon to be theaters and beyond. Welcome to the Hot Breath Verse, the one and only, Sean Marco. Sorazy. Perfect. I said, I you was, got it. I was really working that one today. I was like rehearsing it. Like, don't say Scorsese. Don't say Scorsese. Yeah, people do it on stage, and I just say, oh, if my last name was Scorsese, I wouldn't be performing at this shithole. That's kind of my, <laughs> that's my line. Well, welcome to the show. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. I'm honored to to be on it. Because you literally just flew in. Like you're, you mm-hmm. sh- like you're not even unpacked yet, and you're doing this. Yes, yeah, it's, oh, it's a one nighter. Yeah. So that's all I got. <laughs> but no, it's it's. I feel fancy. I feel I feel more famous than I am. You you don't feel famous? No, I don't think I don't think anyone feels famous. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. There's moments where people stop you on the street, and it's weird. They go. So I've had someone said, "Are you are you from the internet?" <laughs> and I'm so awkward about it because I think. On stage, I like to be like kind of a prick, but I'm very uh, polite in real life. I'm not saying I'm a good person, but I'm very like polite. I'm very non-confrontational, so I always worry that I'm I'm gonna shatter the illusion. Mm-hmm. Someone came up and they said like, "Oh my God, I'm I'm a big fan of your work." If they came, up, they said, uh, "Are you Joe Marco?" And I was like, "Oh yeah," and they said, "Oh, I'm a big fan of your work." And I was like, "Thank you so much. I appreciate it." And I like talked like that and loud, and it was weird and. And I just imagine them going like, I met that guy. He was weird. <laughs> he was weird. But for someone like, for me, a comedian who sees someone like you with hundreds of thousands of followers, you're like selling tickets, you're on the road, like selling to an actual fan base. I guess for someone like me, I was like, oh, he's he's doing it. He's doing what we're trying to do. I think that's what, that's certainly what I, I can see how I could like look at that from the outside. And I'm I'm doing things, but I think, especially when you're touring, you go places and you go, oh, if you saw the show I did in Ottawa, the second show that we added on Wednesday night for 15 people, <laughs> it's it's less glamorous than it seems. Mm-hmm. There's always, with all comedy, there's always like the next level up and you see the people selling out weekends. And, you know, I'm doing a one-nighter Atlanta. Everyone kept saying, come to Atlanta, come to Atlanta. I haven't sold it out yet. I don't think I will. There's still time. Yeah, can we release this now? Can we live stream this now? No, it's all fine. But I'm just saying, like, when you're on the road, you are experiencing a a wide. Oh my God, that's how wide. That's how wide. It's that big. A wide range of uh, of failure and success. Yes. Yes. Well, for for you and the output you have on social media, 
it is it's mind blowing for me who's trying to be consistent online and literally every time I open the app you're there mm -hmm. what is what is happening are you just always posting do you have someone that helps you with this now oh so so many people that help I still do more than I want to but uh -huh. they're tough reins to hand over I think it's just uh, a real balance of uh pot the podcast i i you know s s part of that is like a, a clip generator it's every week i get two or three new clips mm -hmm. then i do my you know crowd work i have my person who helps me caption i have the person who helps edit and i wake up every morning since probably since you know middle of the pandemic my morning spent hour hour and a half just posting on all the various platforms whatever it is that day I have my own little system. TikTok, I'll post fucking anything. If it bombs on there, then I won't post it somewhere else. So it's it's never ending. So that's what you do. You're still hitting like the post yes. button and all that. Yeah. Yes, I'm working to, to to have someone help. But then the moment they do something strange, you go, uh, it, it's like someone's speaking for you. And you mm. go like, that's not me. What are you talking about? So it's it's hard. I feel like you can see when people's social media gets run uh, poorly or run by another company because it becomes so impersonal. Yeah. There's one comic, um, I don't even remember his name, but he posted a, an image of him with a pecan. It was like, it said, pecan pie or pumpkin pie? Sound off in the comments. <laughs> and I was like, that to me, that is, that is where it can go, where it's just like, it's just engagement farming. Yeah. And it's so stupid and gross. And maybe it works, but mm -hmm. I can't. Yeah. I can't do that. Well, some people are saying that about crowd work, though. Of like, oh, I can't. Sure. It's, it's, it's cheap or whatever. I get it. I, I get all the critiques of crowd work. I think when I see crowd work on showcase shows, I think it's obnoxious. Mm -hmm. I think it, it changes the tone of the room. I can absolutely see comedians giving poor sets so they can, so they can get one clip out of it. And I've seen a host, I swear to God, ask, find out the job of every fucking person in the room in the hopes of finding something. <laughs> I think it's bad in the sense that you're not living for the people in the room. You're, you're performing for a clip. I think there's a balance to be had. I personally, I think crowd work should be saved for headliners and hosts mm. i don't think showcase shows should have a lot of crowd work some people do it professionally that's great but it, it fucks up a show it fucks up a show it changes the vibe it makes the audience too chatty and um a lot of people are posting mediocre crowd work i i sometimes slip and sometimes you have to be like you know what i didn't get anything from that show yeah i can try to edit the shit out of this to make it as if i got something but you didn't there's no beginning middle end there's no punchline. So it's bad. It's a scourge, but I'm, I'm, I have no other choice. And I like it. It's fun. And it's working. It can be yeah. fun to do. Right. It keeps me alive, keeps me on my toes. Yeah. But it definitely is a problem. What, what advice do you have for crowd work for a comic listening who's like, oh, I'd like to do it better? I, I do not consider myself a great crowd worker, let me just say. Mm -hmm. I, I think I, uh, I, 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 when I do good crowd work, I feel like, okay, I'm decent at this. And then sometimes I have some nights where I'm like, I think I'm the worst crowd work person in the world. Uh, I listened recently to your episode with Ian Bag, just oh, because cheers. someone referenced it somewhere else. And I was like, let me see what Ian has to say. This is the guy who does it yeah. for real. But as someone told me recently, like, you got to be a journalist. You got to, like, 
in, in my notes, I always am like, you have to drive the conversation. You have to take swings. You have to make leaps. You Sometimes I feel like I rely on them to give me something. And then if they're not an engaging audience member or if they're weird or quiet or slow, then it goes nowhere. So I have to really lead them. I, if you ask so many open-ended questions, what do you do for work? How do you like that? What's something that bad that happened at work? That It gives them the opportunity to not give a good answer. They feel put on the spot. But if I'm like, oh, at work, you, does a boss ever ever catch you looking at your phone while you're picking up the nuclear reactor thing? Like, you got to give them something. Mm. And and it's it's a mix of like really being curious and inquisitive, but also I think making leaps and getting them on your wavelength as opposed to going off of theirs. Yeah, it's tough to not like force it either like to where you're like, all right, I'm doing crowd work. All right, I'm trying to now manufacture a moment that I can then replicate onto social media. But it sounds like there has to be like an authentic like yeah. a conversation happening here. But you got to dig in the right way. And this is where I, whenever I feel like I'm bad at crowd work, it's always like I asked a question that it felt like it moved away from the funny or it or it just it gave me info that's not useful. Mm. You got to like find where the interesting point of view is and then keep digging into that realm. I the, the one crowd work thing that I feel like I I did um Earthquake has a radio show on Sirius XM. Yes. Quake's House or mm-hmm. something like that. And I was very nervous. I was very nervous. I never met Earthquake, but I consider him like like a, a legendary comic for sure. And I was, we were talking about this earlier, I was the only white guy in, in this space. And, and, and there were older comics and there were friends. And like, it, it, my agent was, was his agent. And so I was there. And, you know, that's the only reason I'm there. <laughs> I haven't earned it, nothing. And, and it was 2 p.m. And I'm not a drinker for professional things, but I started drinking vodka because I was so nervous. And I, I remember we were going around introducing ourselves, and there was a guy there. His like moniker is I'm the alpha dog of comedy. <laughs> and and then he got to me and I said, oh, I'm Jamarco, I'm the beta dog of comedy. <laughs> and their reaction was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, I, I, I think w- whenever you play a, a black room, like the uh, self-deprecation is not always viewed the same way as other spaces. There's a degree of like, what? <laughs> You're shitting on yourself? Yeah. Come on, have some pride. Yeah. And so... My lesson from that, though, is we we I finally got in there. Like I established myself as 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 a white comic does in these spaces often as like I'm I established myself as like the Jew. Like mm-hmm. if we were to look at, if you were to look at like Wild and Out, they have a Jewish guy on there now. I forget his name, but he's like you know the Jew on the show. He has a big yarmulke. Yeah, that's he's his bald name. so that you can just see the yarmulke perfectly. <laughs> I don't think that was a choice. This is what he is. But uh, uh, kosher kosher dills and. Um, Basically, we got on some kind of riff about who knows what. I think it was about like men who go back to prison constantly. Does that mean they have a boyfriend on the inside? This is all stuff like it's not. It's not my. It's not Super my topic. Yeah. It's not my topic. There's a little bit of a, a whiff, not a, more than a whiff of homophobia to the whole situation. <laughs> and I started getting on some run, and like I do, I thought of one good joke, and I kind of that was it. And Earthquake looked over, and this wasn't filmed, and he looked at me, he was just like, and he was like, keep going, keep going. And it was that thing where, like, 
I didn't have another great joke, but I kept going. I said another line that looking back on wasn't that funny, but then the next line was funny. And I think a lot about with crowd work, like it takes a degree of confidence. Mm. You have to make it seem like you do have a plan or this is leading somewhere, even if you don't. And then you have to keep going, trusting that something funny is going to be on the other side. And in my notes, like at the top of my my little document of looking over what jokes I want to do that night, there is that note from Earthquake of just like, keep keep going, mm. push further, even if I'm nervous that at the end of this interaction, there's nothing funny. Yeah. I, I had that experience recently. I was actually the casino shows that I was talking about before mm. we started filming. And I was, I have a bit about, I'm working out about cereal. So I just asked, I was like, what are y'all favorite cereal? And then someone would say one. And I would try to say something funny, and then someone else would say one, and I would try to say something funny. And then it ended up with a lady saying, have you ever put ice in your milk? And so it ended up from like talking about cereal to then like, oh, here's a personal thing that people may or may not relate to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, yeah, so it's continuing, but it really didn't lead anywhere that great. I cut up into a crowd work clip, we'll see. I have a good habit of cutting up something and then never hitting post. I'm getting, yeah. I'm getting pretty good at that. Yeah. Just because you're like, ah, eh, it's not good enough? I, 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 I think it's good. I think it's good discipline. I, I've, we all have to make decisions sometimes where we edit and we go, you know what? No. Yeah. I mean, you got to do it. You, you sometimes have to say no. And it's tough. Because you feel that pressure of like, well, everyone else, everyone's posting and blowing up on crowd work and this is what we got to do. But not everyone's into crowd work. And, and there's sometimes I, I feel like I don't want to do it. And certain spaces don't lend itself to it. I, I see some guys that move to theaters and the crowd work clips start losing something. And it's just because the distance and you're, what, what do you do? What did you say? Like, there's, it's not the same. Right. Yeah. I work helium and, and the, the little rooms sometimes are so great for crowd work. And I get, and I'm like, oh, I'll just get my clips here and then go somewhere else. So it's a balance. Yeah. It's a balance. But I, I do fear that everyone's just going to lean into crowd work. And I have people sometimes will write, like, is this show going to be a lot of crowd work? And huh. some, I think some people want it and some people don't. And some people loathe the idea of the, the, the comedian talks to them. They hate it. So I don't know. And you're getting, you're like, a lot of your clips are known as, like, it's getting buzz from the crowd work. Do you, are your shows becoming more disruptive? Are people, like, having the no, assumption? No, I haven't had That's that. Good. I haven't had okay. that experience. I, once in a while, an audience person, an audience member would be like, oh, I thought you were going to, like, roast us more. Or as if I was going to hit the whole audience. And I've heard I've heard people who do a lot of crowd work clips that like their shows have become all crowd work. But I'm I think I set the tone pretty early on that this is a material show. Good. Unless okay, I cool. say otherwise. Yeah, I just heard maybe it was Nate Bargetsy talking of like, yeah, I mean you can do crowd work, but he's like like you said, when you get to like a theater or like you're not doing Madison Square Garden and you're doing yeah. crowd work, you gotta have an act to back this up. But with young comics, I can't imagine start how long have you been doing comedy? I see like eight years, eight years, eight, maybe nine. So, I mean, I can't imagine like being young now at open mics and then feeling like, oh, I have to figure out how to say a joke and I have to figure out how to edit and do crowd work and like all this. It's like there's so many different variables now. Yeah. And I, I think you I certainly see a lot of comics who they, they do jokes and like I, in the beginning, I was just doing jokes for sure. It was just jokes. Mm -hmm. And I think if you try to learn these two skills at the same time, Often with a lot of comics, it's they're just the material is soft and they always will pivot into the crowd work or they'll pivot when it doesn't work or um, or they don't have the struggle of 
okay, if I'm not going to do crowd work, can I somehow with the jokes win the audience back? Yeah. And like sometimes you're in a situation where you, you have to do that, you know? And, and so I think it's tough to learn two skills at once. And stand-up is just... I, I always think like roast battles taught me joke writing. Um, and part of that is the scope is very limited of what you can do with a, you can't do crowd work in a, in a roast battle. Mm -hmm. You could maybe do improv, but like roast battles are generally about just tight jokes. And, and your point of view is just to insult the other person in a way that gets a big pop. And I feel like I learned what I, what, what makes sense for me writing jokes from that narrow medium. Yeah. But if I were to just be doing showcase shows and kind of doing crowd work and kind of doing jokes, it's hard to know if I'd ever master any of them. Yeah, it is, that is smart to like think of it as learning one thing at a time. So like learning jokes first and then building an act that then you can start to kind of get a little more flexible with the crowd work, I think is a good foundation to yeah. have. Because I think when I started with one-liners like early on and then got longer winded from there, but it all started with learning how to set up how to punchline misdirect and just kind of learning the fundamentals and then starting to make it your own. Yeah. Yeah. I, I also think there's a, another thing with some crowds, if you do just jokes, they, this is the problem with it. I, I, I think some comedy clubs are going to have to, I think some comedy clubs will eventually be like, Hey, no more crowd work because mm. I think you can't expect comedians to be moderating themselves. And one day some, some booker is going to see a show and see everyone do crowd work for 10 minutes and go, what the fuck is this? <laughs> You know what? Turn off the fucking cameras. No more filming at this. Because I, I always thought like, oh, these comedy clubs are so foolish. So many didn't have cameras for so long. And it was like the advertising you're getting. Every comedian is posting these clips that are going viral. You're getting insane free advertising. Mm -hmm. And now I go, you know what? Maybe it's detrimental because now every comedian is, is using your space to boost their own social media and they no longer care about giving the best show that they can. Is there something you found that works better than other, other than like posting? Are you trying to talk about certain topics that you know are going to pop off better on social media? Is there like a strategy behind the Only content? Only in the beginning. I think like, I don't think I'm disciplined or I get too bored to like, I, I, I think I could really force myself to think of even more divorce material than I already have and just become divorce boy or depression boy, or I certainly have a lot of Jewish material, but um, I think, I, I just think I, it's just whatever funny thought pops in my head. Mm -hmm. I don't really have much, much ability to just drill on one subject. And I find a lot of people who focus very niche topics, they become mediocre comics quickly mm, but those are the kind of the identifying topics that could maybe take off on social media of like oh that's that comedian sure and i feel like in the beginning of tiktok when i first started and i always told people my advice was always like if you're chinese do some jokes about being chinese because that will click in with the target for me it was like italians clicked with a market jewish clicked with market divorce and theater kid mm -hmm. those were the like those were the markets. Yeah. And I didn't choose them. That's just, the, the, that was my like things. And so I just made sure those jokes are really tight and I posted them earlier than later. But that, that's what I say to, like, to first break in. I mean, that's the really tough part. If you're from the South, lean into the South. And then some people go further. Some people, they become, you know, that's my character on stage. Mm -hmm. I don't want 
to do that. And I don't think I could write really good material if I just made it all Jewy stuff <laughs> or, or, or all Italian stuff. I wasn't even raised that Italian. So it's, 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 does it only go so deep? Yeah, that make that makes sense. Cause, and I think also now we're having to figure out, we're having to like diversify skill sets as well. I mean, being a stand up, people see that and then they're like, well, what else can you do? Sure. Like you have podcasts, people do sketches and things. It's like, I mean, we're our own media company now. So we have to figure out all the different almost programming we have that are us. Yeah. Yeah. There, there can be, there can sometimes feel like being good at stand up is not the priority at any point. And that's, that can be annoying. But I think if you get really good, you know, to a degree, the cream rises to the top. Some shit rises to the top too. Mm-hmm. But. The cream joins the shit, and then they do each other's <laughs> podcast and pretend that they respect each other. So, actually, something in researching you that I wasn't able to find is the transition from moving to New York, pursuing musical theater, and then the next thing I hear, you're doing two a.m. shows for the check drop. I never, I was yeah. never able to find like what is the what is that kind of tipping point of like oh I'm a comedian now. Yeah. So I I I had dabbled in that I did a class when I was in college for musical theater I did a summer in New York where I took a class at Caroline's Comedy Club which was like it was just interesting like you you learn a little bit but the the class is moreover it's like in seven weeks you're gonna do five minutes on stage and um you know I I I would say that I was the best in that class, which is no, there's no trophies to be given for that. But there was enough there to be like, oh, interesting. There's something here. And then I like went back to school and I did an hour. And it was just like, it was just, it wasn't a good hour. Yeah. But it was just like I, I, and because I was an actor, I was, I would, and did playwriting. I just wrote everything out. And I basically, this, this was probably the filthiest hour I've ever written. It was just about like every time I'd ever had sex and the time a girl peed on me and the time I came too fast. Like that was the hour. And um, in my mind, I was like, I'm also a stand-up. Like the kind of stand thing I would, I would not hate now, but I'd be like, okay. I was an actor and I did stand-up and I did like a bringer show once a year. And you would do these bringers with new material, but it would be a sold-out crowd, white-hot, and I would do decently, and I'd be like, I'm good at this. Right. Um, and then I think I did like two mics at the Creek in the Cave where I would do the material that crushed on the, the show, and it wouldn't work at all. And the Creek in the Cave at this point it was like very bro-y. It was just not the kind of man that I – it felt weird. It felt like no one was paying attention. And so in my head I was like, oh – this is truly the thought. Oh, my act just works better for sold out rooms. <laughs> but like you justify it yeah, in your head. Yeah, of course, of course. And and then I just didn't do it for a long time, maybe once a year. And um I wrote a play uh for this thing called the Fringe Festival, which used to be a big indie uh uh f- festival in New York. A lot of shows came in, like the Edinburgh Fringe, but mm-hmm. but not quite as big. And it was autobiographical and it had a lot of talking to the audience and it had a lot of this like sort of stand up that I did. And I, I made it a little tighter and all the positive feedback was kind of for those parts. And like when you tell jokes in theater, the bar is a lot lower the same way that like someone will look at like a one person show and be like, this isn't this wouldn't work in a comedy club. But in that in the theater space, it's very funny. Right. Mm-hmm. And um 
I just got a lot of feedback from from people being like, I liked where you talked to the audience. And I had a friend named Lindsay Elizabeth Hand, who was a producer friend. We worked together a lot. And she like was like, you should focus on this. And like really, really like told it to me with like a degree of emotion where I was like, oh, you're really serious. You really like think this. So I just dove in. I think I went to like those roast battles. Fucking bombed terribly. Like I had to, I mean, I really, that the beginning is the, is the worst. I just going up and, and I would kind of like be a little bit like nervous and a little bit like a little bit of like a character and the jokes were shit. And, um, I, I, I were, I approached it like an actor. Like I, I basically wrote so, so many jokes and ideas and I, I, I had a friend named Kevin Labson who was an artistic director at the People's Improv Theater. And I basically paid him to meet up and I would just read the jokes out loud. And he would be like, yeah. And it was like, it was, I don't think a lot of stand-ups go about it that way. But I do it today with, I have a friend, Alice Grinling, who I call basically an hour once a week and I just say jokes and she's a good laugher. And I just mm. base it off that. I like to just work through words that I've written down. And and that's just how I started. I, I I started going out nights, which I'd never done before. I was kind of a recluse, a homebody. And I think the real turn was I started working at LOL Comedy Club, which is like the worst comedy club in the world. <laughs> and um I I was I was seeing a comic at the time and like all comedy clubs, it's it was it's hard to get into. It's hard to find the right moment. And she said to the booker, um, "Hey, I'm fucking this guy. Can you please let him audition?" Dude. And she was like, "Okay." And I was like theatrical enough and have been doing it long enough that like I did well for that space. And um, I just got to do check spots, and I was willing to do like every check spot. And I I really do feel like. And I may, maybe I'm I'm wrong in retrospect, but I feel like I did every check spot there for a year, a year and a half. So it was at least 20, 24 spots a week. And at the time, LOL had three rooms, uh, which no comedy, I mean, the seller has it now, but like no comedy club would you work every single show. Mm-hmm. And I just did, you know, four check spots a night on the weekdays and then six on the weekends with shows that would Jeez. start at one. And, and, Sometimes very hot audiences, not smart audiences in general. These it's it's a mix of folks. Some people who can't speak English fully, uh, drunk, um, just looking for a place to get stoned and drink. And I I just learned a lot from just doing that. I got more stage time than I, I don't know anywhere I could get that kind of stage time anymore. Wow. In not not even there. LOL. It, they lost that space and now they operate out of an even worse space. But the reps, like just that repetition, like every after interviewing over 400 comics on here, the number one piece of advice has been you have to get on stage. Like, sure. Getting on stage is everything. So the fact you're able to get those reps in basically the trenches of comedy. But that's a perfect place of like if I had been crowd worky then I would not have learned what I learned because mm-hmm. it's like a perfect space for crowd work. I mean, you you can do the classic you two fucking and you'll get a pop. Mm-hmm. And uh 
I I just didn't do crowd work. Then it was just I, I didn't like talking to people. It was it was so anxiety inducing. And then eventually I had to host there, and that's where I started to learn a little bit of crowd work. Mm-hmm. But even then, not uh, you know, hosting is scarier than than anything I I have to do. Oh really? If I have to host, I'm more nervous about that than to headline. I I don't, I don't mind. I mean, I don't like hosting anymore, but like. I feel like the bar is lower for hosting because like you're kind of there just to set the vibe. You don't necessarily have to like kill. You just have to set an sure. environment. Sure. But I want to kill. I, I but that's kill. why, like yeah. I agree. And I, and I always, you know, whenever I'm, whenever I'm having a rougher set or I, or if I do have to host, I'm like, I remember when I saw the host and I knew that it was a cold crowd and I wasn't judging them for this. But in my mind, in the moment I'm like, every comic is going, wow, he fucking sucks. <laughs> He didn't go up there and just immediately <laughs> blow up the room. Um, so, yeah, I worked at LOL for like an insanely long amount of time. Uh, to my detriment in the degree that like I don't think I socialized with a lot of like comics my age for, for a while. There's some comics my age there, but there's some older comics who just have kind of like settled at LOL. That's just where they're going to work. Mm. Um or who have dreams and, and whatnot, but LOL is a place you can get stuck. And also not being paid for that entire time is like pretty egregious. Um, I, I got paid eventually, but even then it was it was shit. Yeah, of course. And uh, But I just got these crazy reps in. And there were some comics there that were fantastic. There was a comic named Ken Boyd, who I know he does a lot of cruises now, but like his charisma... And his his ability uh, to to mime on stage was astounding, and I feel like I took a lot from him. the The way that he always felt joy, even if he was faking it, but like he always like looked like he was having the time of his life up there. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like I borrowed a lot. I feel like there were a lot of black comics at that club. Like I think if I started in like Brooklyn or other spaces that weren't as diverse, I could have like easily become like kind of a, a different kind of comic maybe, but I was theatrical. I am big. When I, when I get anxious, I become bigger. I become louder. I gesture. And in, in uh, black clubs, I feel like that theatricality is uh, still loved. Mm-hmm. Whereas like there's Brooklyn spaces or the one club at the time it was New York Comedy Club where the booker said I was to one man show where it was like that's not the thing we're doing anymore. And in a way I, it, it was good to be in that space where I felt like the style I was doing was embraced and I was seeing other comics being big because then I could at least be a little bit more authentic to myself and then fine tune from there. How do you find your authenticity? I feel like when I, I, I feel like I, I'll set intentions because I, I headline now and I was like, sometimes I'll go out and be like, all right, I'm setting the intention. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to be silly goose and Lucy. But then like sometimes I'll still kind of just like kind of retreat back or whatnot. I, it's like, yeah, you can't control you know? it. I mean, you can't make it 100 percent every time. I just try to remind myself that like if I'm not digging it why would anyone else get on board but it's mm. tough i mean when i i had a, a don't tell taping earlier this year and like i tried to be in a good space for it and then the audience just like didn't dig my first joke which was like a harsh open but it didn't work and i just could feel inside just like wanting to be like all right let's just call it <laughs> fuck 
and I'd flown to LA like for this taping and I I mean I collapsed on stage and I still like got through it and we yeah, ended up cutting was... we ended up cutting a chunk and the set went great and it did well but I was weeping the next day in a Delta lounge to my my poor put upon girlfriend being like I I fucking this is all I do and I can't fucking do a good 10 minute set on don't tell well dude watching the set on youtube it's it's undeniable it's, it's great killer. editing work <laughs> but uh yeah you you try you try to be in a good place but but sometimes you're just not it's a very weird feeling headlining sometimes especially as you get more people coming out for you we're like if i'm in a shit mood whether from travel or personal things and then i get there and i see there's people who hired babysitters and who this is their this is their moment this week this month and i go i am in such a bad mood this is so unfair to them mm -hmm. and i think the reason i do stand up is if i start getting those laughs on stage like a drug which it is for sure it it boosts me back up and i will get in a good mood surprisingly fast if the jokes start hitting gotcha but we everyone has bad you can't you can't always get in that mindset i didn't know if you coming from a theater background if there were like techniques that you can kind of like prime yourself for performance yeah i'm not doing like emotional memory exercises of when i was happy <laughs> when when my parents still spoke to each other like oh but i definitely think i think some some people don't know how to fake anything and I, I know how to fake it i know how to come out there and be like hey everybody and i know some comics who like can't seem to go if they're here that's what it's gonna be and it's like god bless mm -hmm. but some rooms that's gonna be tough um but yeah L lol which i shit on more publicly now i feel very comfortable about it because i felt so mistreated by them for so long but it really was uh, uh my home base and I always feel weird. I always wonder how regular people view when, whenever you use the term like a black club, you can say urban club, yeah. but it's like, but it's not what comics say. It's so it's, it's just always weird. It's always weird to talk about because I'm always like, I'm always like, don't say urban club. That's you're, 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 you're putting on a phony version of yourself, mm -hmm. but like it, it captures a general spirit of, of like a certain kind of room and, and a, where you, you know, you just say Def Jam. You could just say a Def Jam. But even even like when you said Black Room, I was like, oh no, do I need to add context that I came up in the Black Rooms here in Atlanta? You've done Black Rooms like we're not coming from a place of like being derogatory, but like we've performed in a lot of these rooms. And yeah. We're not trying to like segregate comedy in any way, but it's actually a lot of yeah, comedy that's what is the segregated. bookers are doing. It's that's not us. A lot of we're comedy not the is ones segregated. segregating comedy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but and they book people like us. Yeah. But I felt even when like when you said that, I was like, oh, no, do I need to make sure people listening know we're coming from a place of like yeah, professional yeah, yeah. experience here and not like, oh, black rooms versus white rooms type deal. Sure. But but I could see. a Yeah, we can we can clip. There's, that there's, we want. No, 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 yeah. please. No, don't clip it out. No, <laughs> no I think it's important. No, like, no, no, I think there. it's important to like figure out a way to like actually talk the way that people actually talk in the real world rather than yeah. pretend. Mm hmm. But I, I, I sometimes I feel like the term urban club is like worse because it's just like. It's it's just like it's a fake thing. I don't know that you're trying to say, but yeah, it just describes a space where, like, as opposed to like a Brooklyn room, which which you could call a white club mm -hmm. in the sense that there's like a certain 
there's a vibe and it's it's more low and it's more like oh here's a witty line oh, ironic and yeah. here's a here's here's a i've always said like like because i lived in harlem for a long time and between that and lol like i felt like i performed in spaces where there weren't that many white comics going up and i think there's there's just like different stereotypes about each type of thing in brooklyn it can be very self-deprecating but like in a, in a harlem room the same way as being on earthquake show like my feeling is if you were to make a joke about how small your dick was people in the room would be like what do you do there's there's women here why are you telling me you have a small dick Fucking for me bernie mac on def jam going i ain't scared of you motherfuckers to me embodies the spirit of like that's that's what the room calls for. It, it calls for a kind of confidence. Yes. And and just a kind of owning the stage. Yeah. Whereas like if you go to I think what UCB probably led to there's a degree of like people are giving you people have give you the attention out of turn and then you can play with that in a different way. Mm-hmm. In Harlem you got to earn it. You have to You got to go it. up there and prove within seconds. I mean it's the Apollo mind it's the Apollo thing. You will be booed mm-hmm. if that first joke doesn't fucking land but you've got to be authentic too i think that's what i found in performing in black rooms is like you said they just want they want you to be real and actually like care you can't phone it in like they can sift out they can smell anything fake or if you're trying to be they don't they they like they don't mind clever writing like black rooms like writing it doesn't have to be all boisterous but it has to be coming from like an authentic place and not just from like a manufactured attitude because I'm ironic sure, type sure. deal. It's got to be coming from a real place is what I've learned. But ultimately, I think like the excellent people in any room, whether wh- any kind of room, will be will su- will succeed in all rooms. Yes, I think it's I think it's rarely that like some excellent comic from this place will bomb over here. I don't mm-hmm. think that's common. Yeah. Um, and that was my goal is if I perform in front of an all black room, I want to make sure I'm doing jokes that work in front of an all white room or at like a church or like a college. Like that's, sure. that's my mindset around material that I want to be able to translate everywhere. And if it doesn't, then I just get rid of it. Yeah. Yeah. Or I put a funny caption on it and then post it and hashtag that demographic and exploit it for views. Uh-huh, of that's course. an option as well. Of course. <laughs> of course. But uh, yeah, as we as we start to land this plane here, I appreciate you for doing this, man. This sure, is, this is so cool because I remember we did the show at the comedy store together, and I've been following you ever since. But then you just land and you're willing to do this is very no, I, I'm generous. honored to to talk comedy. I always am. So the the question I always ask on here is like people's worst bombing story. Like what is a what's an experience you've had on stage that you just never forget that gives you the cold sweats and nightmares? Yeah, I. Early on, and I don't think I, I don't think I could do this gig well now, but early on, about a year, maybe two years in, it was like my uncle's sort of friend was having a, a bachelor party and it was a second marriage. He was in his I would say fifties and for six hundred bucks, which which was like, Whoa, six hundred bucks, could I go to like a private steakhouse and do thirty minutes? And in my mind, I, I, I've, I've been doing 30 minutes and I was like, oh, I'll, I, I was deep into roast battles. I was like, I will write a bunch of jokes. I'll hire a buddy of mine. I hired Matt Moran. Like, he'll write some jokes. We'll talk about the jokes. I'll write them on note cards uh, and, and I'll mix it in with material. And I even went so far as to interview his son, like his son who was 22. I, I met him for coffee and I was like, so tell me about your dad. And he was like, 
don't know. He's just, he's just like such a fucking idiot. <laughs> and I was like, okay, good, good, good fucking idiot. <laughs> and uh, I found his Instagram. He was like a little bit heavy. And I was like, great, there we go. That's a hundred more chokes. And then, uh, <laughs> you know, his wife was like younger, second marriage. So I came with all these jokes and I, I either wrote them on note cards or I literally printed them out, cut them out, pasted them on the note cards. I wore like a suit. And, and again, I don't, I don't know what I was, I, I don't know what I expected. Like, like I expected like this was going to be like a Friars Club roast somehow that I had gotten hired for. Right. And I went to the steakhouse and they, they brought me into the back room and it was like, it was a junky steakhouse. Everyone was wearing shorts and t-shirts and I was in like an H and M suit. <laughs> and, uh, I get there and they're seated in the round. So, so there's no stage, there's no mic, there's no, and I'm young. I felt, so, I felt so young in them. I felt like such a child. And, um, I get there and they're all having fun. It felt like I had forced myself upon them. And I like started to launch into my jokes and they said, let's wait for the stakes to get here. So then I'm just like standing there. I don't even think there was a chair for me. And I'm just standing kind of <laughs> looking around and I'm socially awkward. So I wasn't good at like engaging them in conversation. And uh, they said, do you want anything to drink? And I was like, oh, I'll have a glass of red wine. And one said, Red wine, you pussy. And everyone started laughing. And I was like, this is this is bad. This is bad. And uh, the steaks came out. And I was like, great, I'll start. And they were like, hold on, hold on. Because they all got the same steaks. So they had to compare to see who got medium rare, who got rare, who got well done. And then finally, the, the birthday guy was like, again. And um, very awkwardly, I have the recording. I still am a little bit overly... Uh, I talk a little bit affected, more than I want to. I want to be more natural. But back then, it was like, well, Gary, <laughs> welcome to this. And and I I started with, and some of the jokes were, were decent, I think. I'd done a lot of research. I worked really, I earned this money for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and it was like, uh, Gary hates, he, he flew a lot, or he had an airplane company. It was like, Gary hates going through security because it takes so long for him to get off his belt or something. Or he liked toy airplanes. I said, Gary likes toy airplanes because they make his dick look regular size. Uh, I said, uh, uh, Gary, Gary, your, your friends say you love eating out. Well, everyone except for your fiance. And he was like, whoa, whoa, her son's right there. And I was like, oh, sorry, sorry. And then I joked about you know, him being, being fat. And, he, and after the second fat joke, he was like, okay, okay, enough with the fat jokes. And I was like, enough with the fat <laughs> jokes. That is the whole set. Are people laughing? Uh, his friends were kind of laughing, but he was not. He, oh. he was like not enjoying it. And it was like they, they were laughing. They were they, kind of like they were laughing like, oh, Gary. They right. weren't having fun. <laughs> they, were, they were laughing in the spirit of what this was supposed to be. And... Um, he said no fat jokes. Don't talk about his fiance. And I think where I was so foolish is then I was like, oh, I'll just go into my material. And there is a moment where you hear me five minutes into this roast go, so I went to college for musical theater. And you're just like, why the fuck would they enjoy any of this? Me talking about being a failed actor and doing a bit where I do a tap dance and I sing a little. And 
it was it was one of those where the I, the clock I could oh. see the clock and I was oh. looking at it, and and I had gone through all my note cards. Like the note, basically my my idea was like I have these note cards. I go into material when I start losing them, back to the note cards. But I I couldn't do the fat jokes, <laughs> and I couldn't do the jokes about his fiance, and at at towards the end. It was like minute 25, and I was sweating. And, and, and I was walking around the table, and if I got too close to any of the guys, they'd be like, hey, back off, back off, give me some space. <laughs> no mic. You're just the guy walking around. Walking around, and then I said, uh, I said, uh, uh, Donna, I think her name was Donna. Donna always dresses to the nines to make up for being a six, which is a decent joke. Yeah. Decent joke. And, and one of his friends goes, no, she's a two. A size two, that is. And that's the first joke that this motherfucker goes, Ah, yes! That's what I'm talking about. We should have hired you to be the comedian. That classic line, we should have hired you to be the comedian. And I was like, wait, so the joke is your wife's skinny? That's the fucking joke you wanted? Talk about your, oh, oh she has big tits too. They're great. And I, I, at 26 minutes, I clocked. I said, all right, that's, that's me. And... If they hadn't paid me, they would have been in the right. But but he did, and and he said good work. But I I would really love, and I'm sure I could find their info somewhere, to find out what they thought, because maybe it was so bad, and I was so awkward that it was funny what occurred. Mm-hmm. It could have been that level of bad, like it like so maybe they did have a good time, just joking about. What the fuck was that? That's what I imagine when I left the room. That Gary turned to the, his best man and said, "What the fuck was that? Jesus Christ!" I would like to ask them. I would like to find out. But it was it was one of those bombs. It was so bad. First of all, I I wouldn't do it again. I wouldn't do that kind of gig. Maybe five thousand dollars. I'd consider it. Yeah. But but probably not. Oh yeah. Because it's so. It felt so awful. I called like everyone I knew to recount. Like that's my when I feel that kind of shame, I need to like express it with people. So I called eight different people, like waiting at the gas station after that, just to like get it off my chest to tell them what had happened, because it was it was the shame was too much to bear on my own. <laughs> and uh, that that was that was early. And and I know what they want. I don't know if I could do what they would have wanted. I don't know what they wanted. 30 minutes is a long time for what they wanted. For sure. But like they wanted like Aaron Berg. I don't know if you know he's mm-hmm. a New York yeah, to, to Aaron, be yeah. like, hey, you're gay. You got a small dick. And just like he's, he's better than that. But like yeah. I was saying, like they just wanted to be roasted fast by someone with confidence. Yeah, with bravado. And you're I, there I like, hey, <laughs> I could try to fake it. But like. I don't know. How long in a comedy was this? It, it was like a year and a half, two years. Oh. Still where like I had an oversized... Matthew Broussard has a great line of, I, I just want to be as good at comedy as I thought I was two years in. Hilarious. And I feel like oh, I was so in that pocket of where I was like, I'm pretty good, I think. Yeah. And then moments like that make you go... <sighs> Even now, like if I have a headlining set, I had a JCC recently. Where a uh, Jewish community center, I know I'm in the South, and uh, <laughs> the, the, a woman came up and she said, just so you know, I run a, a, a group for uh, adults with severe autism, and there's about 20 of them, and we brought them to the show. They're seated in this section, just in case you notice, like, one section is not responding as you might normally expect. And I went up and 
at some point I mentioned a friend who was gay or had a boyfriend and one of the autistic adults went, ew, very loudly in a way that everyone could hear. And and I, I in the moment, I, I could not think of a funny way to deal with it. It's one of those moments where I should have made fun of him more than I did. Instead, I was like, well, it's okay to be gay. Like, ter- terrible, terrible comedic impulse to to teach a lesson. Right. And and in a way where it's like, no, I could I could roast him a little, and people wouldn't be like, how dare you? I wouldn't I wouldn't make fun of his his autism. I would make fun of him, his homophobia or whatever. Right. But doing when I do shows in that kind of space where it was tough, it was a tough show. And when you do an hour for a tough audience, that's where you're like, oh, this is why you need to be good so you can get to the end of this without people walking out, without people like going heckling in an aggressive, mean way. Mm-hmm. Because I, I know those comics, many social media folks who start doing an hour, not in New York for their friends, their fans, but like who go to like a regular comedy club in Arizona and suddenly are doing an hour and the audience is tough and they just have meltdowns and feel humiliated as they should as they should as they should as they should comedy always has a way to humble you like you can get certain amount of positive momentum and then there's going to be a show that reminds you like hey not so fast yeah always yeah that was the casino for me (laughs) but that's why that's why big comics get bad I I mm. I saw a big comic, big big comic last night who I won't name, and it's like, you are just so loved. You have not been humbled in so long. You 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 don't even stick around to see that every comic did better than you on this show. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it must be tough. It's got to be tough at that level to 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 have those kinds of bombs. And to, oh, they bombed. No, they they did fine. But it was they like define, but they're love. A lot of goodwill from the audience. A lot of goodwill. Yeah. And it's like when you when you lose the capacity to like do badly in a show and remind yourself, oh, I need to work on shit. You start sucking. But that must it must be tough to stay motivated if you're like, oh, I'm rich. I do arenas. Like, is this arena level act? Like you're talking about? Oh yeah 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 yeah. So it's but at a certain point, like, what's the motivation beyond? Like you've got to find like. We're up and coming. We're grinding. We're still trying to figure out and prove ourselves in a lot of ways. But it's like, oh, they prove themselves. What do they have? To- sure, I would think the motivation would and be I'm just not like giving them sh- the benefit of the doubt. No, I'm no, not no. saying they shouldn't kill. No, no, no. I just think the motivation would be doing a show where someone else is better than you, hmm. and and feeling that. And maybe you get older and you chill and you don't give a shit. But like, I've been feeling I've been feeling kind of confident lately, partly because I've been working on something that's going to be taped. And so, like, my sets have been has, my sets have been like really strong because I'm doing like a very fine tuned set. And uh, then I was at the cellar and I saw Ricky Velez, who I'd never seen live, and like he just obliterated. And it was so different from the style that I do, and it was so like casual and felt off the cuff, but was packed with with punchlines. Mm. And seeing him. I've seen Shane Gillis at the cellar in a way that made me want to kill myself. <laughs> Jeffrey Asmus. There's, there's, and there's, there's plenty more. But like, those are three that, like, in my mind, when I see them, I go, "Fuck, fuck, fuck." 
and that keeps me stronger. It's the good part about coming up in New York. You, it's like iron sharpens iron in a lot of that's ways. Why you gotta, that's, that's ultimately why I think you got to move to a place where you're just constantly around just really good people. Mm-hmm. I can't be the best on a lineup at the cellar close to every time. There's so many great comics there. Once in a while, I feel real strong. But you, you, you got to be in that space. And that's what happens sometimes when you start headlining is I'm not, I'm not home as much anymore. And, of course, if I'm headlining and half the room's there for me, I'm going to be the best on the, the lineup. But, like, going back to the cellar on, like, a Monday and being like, oh, let's do the new jokes that I finished this weekend and go, like, oh, I did not finish them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I did not finish them at all. I've been lying to myself. Well, congrats on the taping then. I mean, I guess that's what you're kind of cooking up next is you're going to be you're mm-hmm. taping spe- Tape, taping not a full, not not a it's, full it's, it's it's a thing. I can't why now it's it's taping it's it's like a 10 minute set and I'm not I'm not allowed to say for what yet. Mm-hmm. But it's good. Yeah. That's what I'm I was going to do a special and then this thing came along and now I'm like, "Okay, let's do this thing." Mm-hmm. And then let's work on a special. And I hate coming up with orders of of jokes. I hate doing the same set every night and it's going to be hell it's going to be hell to to make the special it'll pay off though it'll pay off but but whenever i'm not working on new i feel like i didn't do anything i don't feel like i did anything but even the older stuff can refine and get better it can get better but without that feeling of like ooh, i had a new thought i feel like yeah. wow i didn't create anything new i just rearranged some words mm-hmm. i need that i need i it's just everyone has their own style and system i get bored that's why I stopped doing theater. It's because I, even when I did my play, I got so bored of doing the same thing every night. Uh-huh. This is why even part of me like does love crowd work because I'm like, oh, it does mean that I I am surprised. I get to do a little bit of improv. That's cool. Yeah, you don't get to do that in theater. But a comedy special is basically like theater, where it is like beginning, middle, end. Like everything is ironed out yeah yeah yeah. and maybe I, I i think i'm too much of a perfectionist to be like to do a lot of loosey-goosey or do crowd work in a special is crazy to me unless i was filming at least four yeah maybe so not you have the coverage shows. to yeah but you got to have sam real money to film i forget for his netflix i think he filmed six or eight. Oh, did he I, I believe so. Yes. Well, he left crowd work in it. I did notice that. I know there was crowd work, but, in but that's pro- that's I'm sure he had the looseness to take that risk. Yeah, because he had so many tapings. Whoa. Well, all right. Well, we're excited to see that then. Congrats. Thank you. Are I you cooking up anything else you wanna? Just trying to get people to listen to my fucking podcast. The downside. <laughs> They're not Please. listening. No, so, I you mean just some brought people it to are. JFL. What do you mean? I know. Listen, I know. I I I people do listen. I would just like enough that I can start having some ads and make some money. Well, hey, I've been doing this one for over seven years. Over 400 interviews with comedians. Guess how much money we've made? We have water. This is what we've made. That's more than me? We have custom water. Don't rub it in my face. <laughs> I would kill for some downside water. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is Georgia spring water, though. This is mountain spring water. But, yeah, so, yeah, when you figure out monetizing a podcast, let me know because we're certainly – Looking to do sure. that, for sure. Are you clipping this up? We're, Clip we're start, it up. We're starting to. Listen, it's the clips. Yeah. More people have seen my clips than will ever listen to my podcast. <laughs> ever. Ever. <laughs> by, uh, by a trillion fold. <sighs> Human, no one wants podcasts. They want 30-second bits. To, it's the same way that no one wants to read the book. They want to get a synopsis. No one reads the articles of The Onion. They mm. read the headline. 
So I don't even watch movies anymore. I watch the trailer, and I go, "That was a great movie." Like, you got it. Yeah. Oh, thank. Oh my God, it's two and a half minutes. Oh, it's a long one. I miss when trailers were under two minutes. Well, what would be the? Tell the people what's the trailer for this show? Why should they listen to Hot Breath? Your whole podcast or just my episode? Maybe your episode. That's fine. Listen to my episode of Hot Breath because I'm 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 telling you the downsides tied into my podcast of <laughs> of stand up. I'm not putting on a little bow. I'm not going like, well, let's see. You do this, it'll all work out. Sometimes it's bad. It's bad, and it's it's constantly changing your uh, your ability to fine tune and your audiences. And what was the challenge when I was at a shit club in LOL where they might not get certain jokes, and they might want a certain level? That was a challenge. Now I have a challenge of I'm working with rooms that are f- there for me and are overly generous and doesn't allow me to see where I'm actually weak. And I have to find new ways to 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 test in a real space. Stand up is all about figuring out your your tools are always changing. Your mm-hmm. tools are the audience's reaction, and it's the most unreliable tool in the world. It's like trying to build a house with a ruler that changes size and and dimensions and 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 what the material it's made of and one day it's fucking it's a three yard ruler one day it's it's a slinky and you still somehow have to use that tool to construct a house that you can live in for an hour and and that's what we talk about on today's episode hot breath Gianmarco marco thanks for being on hot breath thank you for having me word hot breath What's goody, Hot Breath of Verse? I am teaching a clean comedy workshop on Zoom this Sunday afternoon. So if you've ever wondered where the line is in clean comedy, how to transform your dirty jokes to clean jokes without compromising your voice, and get live feedback on your material in the workshop, scroll to the bottom of the show notes, click the link, join the clean comedy workshop, or go to joelbyerscomedy.com slash cleancomedyworkshop. And I'll see you there. Last one sold out, so jump on it.